And we are looking at one verse today in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. The practical Christian living, part one, put to death your members. And Lord, we ask now that you'd open your word to us to behold wondrous things from it. And Lord, we don't want to neglect praying for those who are so ill amongst us with cancer, some and some brain injuries, some that are dealing with uh, just constant difficulties that are having to have procedures on and being hospitalized over. And we do ask, Lord, that you would just heal. And there's many here amongst us that either have uh, gotten so ill over the holidays that they haven't been able to return. Please touch them and heal them and strengthen them. Keep us healthy through these holidays that we can enjoy them and be a witness and a light in all that we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, last week, we actually looked at this first step in sanctification. That is, after we're justified, our names are written in the book of life, we're going to heaven, the issue's settled. We, the moment you believe you've passed out of judgment and you have been given the gift of eternal life, it's a gift. Now, what do you do with our life? It's sanctification. You see, not everybody who believes goes on in their Christian walk to be fruitful, to be a disciple, to have rewards in heaven. Those who come to submit themselves to Christ, that doesn't save you, that makes you a disciple. That makes you somebody who's bearing good fruit and glorifying our Father in heaven as men see our good works and glorify our Father. But there are going to be many people in heaven, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, that they're born again, that foundation's laid, Christ Jesus, they're, they're going to heaven but Paul says not one single reward. That their entire life after believing, when it's tested through fire, is going to prove that their entire life after being born again has been hay, wood, and stubble, not gold and silver and precious metals. And so I think most people going to church here on every Sunday and looking at most of you I know, well, you, you do want to be a disciple and, and we know what Jesus said, that's denying yourself, taking up a cross and following him, right? Losing your own life in this world to gain it in the life to come. To not be served, but to be the servant. You know, I just mentioned to Dennis, not to embarrass your friend, but friend's 90 years old and she never parks in the handicapped spots, which are right there in the front. She's 90 years old, still being a servant. She's thinking of those People that, that need that, that parking spot, and so she doesn't take it. Anyway, it, it's, it's just the mindset of a disciple to serve and not be served. And so he, he's giving us here the beginning. He says, therefore, in verse 5, when there's a therefore, what do you do with that, guys? Yes, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's always there referring to what was just said. So he's saying, as we go into verse 5, don't forget what we just learned in the first four verses. Remember those? If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, and you also will appear with him in glory. So before you can start the sanctified life, the justified life has to be settled. Because if you're trying to serve God and it's partly out of fear that you're not condemned, if you're serving God and obeying him, but it's because you're, you're afraid he may blackball you from going to heaven after all, then he can't receive any of the works you do. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says it has to be of love or it profits you nothing, and you are nothing. And perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves torment. But where there is God's love for you, there is no judgment, no condemnation from him whatsoever. And so we, we come to realize that I'm seated with Christ 
in the heavenly places right now, according to him. We looked at that out of Ephesians 2. The moment I believed, I was justified and through the one sacrifice, Hebrews tells us twice, we were also sanctified. We are all guaranteed, even if you have no rewards, no good fruit, you didn't walk as a disciple, you will still be in heaven with the Lord, sanctified in a perfect body with no uh, sinful desires anymore um, in heaven, no devil, no temptation. We're all going to be entirely sanctified in heaven one time at one point. But the question is now, what do we do between being born again, this vapor of time we have on earth, right? You, you go to the graveyard, you see the day they were born, the little slash, and the day they died. Well, that little slash, that's about right. What do you do with that little slash? Well, Christianity is so hard, you got to deny yourself and take up a cross and lose your life in this world and for a slash of time. And you know, after you die, you know what the slash looks like? It's infinite because we live forever, right? I mean, even if we have a difficulty on this earth, it's, it's for, but for a moment. And so we, we come now to understand, according to the first four verses, that we need to get our eyes on Christ and on his reign, on his position at the right hand of the Father. We need to understand and live out our life through spiritual truths. Guys, is there angels all around about us right now? Do you remember that story of Elisha when his servant said, oh, the Syrians were dead. And he comes and he goes, Lord, open my servant's eyes. And behind the enemy were angels. And he said, oh, there's more with us than with them. Yes. We know that, right? Matter of fact, when Jesus said we gather together two or three in his name, he's here with us in a unique, special way. Jesus is here this morning. Isn't it awesome? And there's so many other spiritual truths, right? So we walk by faith, not by sight. We, we get our eyes on the things above and we live out our life in spiritual truths. Why? Because God said so. Why? Because the word says so. Boy, when I would have my little discussions at dinner time with my family, it was typically, you know, who we are as Newberries and this is why we treat your mom the way we treat her. This is why we live here. This is why we don't do this. Why we do this. And someday you're going to be in your own home and you're going to have to make up your own mind. But this is why we don't do those things. This is why we do do those things. And it comes right back to this spiritual mindset, living out the spiritual truths of the Bible. And that's how we walk day by day. And then a real important one is the constant tension of Jesus could come back today. We, we never say, oh, I got a, another 20 years to live. We never say that, right? James says all such talking is evil. We say, I'm not going to go here and there and buy and sell and do and that. We say, if I live tomorrow, <laughs> if the Lord wills, I plan on doing that, but maybe interrupted with a big giant Mack truck running me over. So I don't want to be prideful and, and, and speak arrogantly. And so there's just that constant tension, right? A guitar, you have to have constant tension on both ends, right? And, and then you get it in tune. And it's not a general in tuneness, is it? <laughs> you ever see anybody tune an instrument? It's ding, 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 ding. It sounds good to me. No, it's sharp. Da, 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 flat. Da, 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 da. It's like, oh, you're driving me nuts. It's got to be perfect. Or it, it just, ah, I can't, I can't hear it. Well, that's our lives. God's given us tension. We're in sinful bodies, so we can't just go, I'll do what's ever in my heart, because we're in sinful bodies. What's in our heart is sinful. You know, all the Disney movies say, listen to the spirit in the wind. Don't listen to the spirit in the wind. It's the devil. Look at the fruit of Disney. They've been listening to the spirit in the wind, and it's pretty demonic now. And, and so there's this tension of heaven's coming. So it's hard. It's hard to deny myself one more day. I've been doing this for decades. Yeah, but that's how I keep my body in check. And that's why I, I, I'm doing fruitful things and storing up treasure in heaven. And I'm, I'm serving others rather than being served. Well, 
We look now at verse 5 today at the first part. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. So this word put to death can be meant literally but or figuratively. And here, of course, it's figuratively. Now, what's interesting about this is we've been studying in these last few chapters, and Paul has said more than once, we have died with Christ. Remember, we were buried in the baptism. We, we were buried with him. We died with him. We were buried with him. We rose again with him. And so the old man is dead. And we looked at this last week in Romans 6. Therefore, sin can no longer keep us in its slavery. How is the power of sin dead to us? There's no more judgment. Remember Colossians 2? All the handwritings of requirements that were against us were nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. Okay? When my kids sinned, I didn't say, okay, that's it. This, this is the date. This is what you did. And I am going to keep the record of that and uh, put it in my safety deposit box and at the bank to keep track of that. Is that, what you, is that the way you parent? You know, my, my kids the other day going, Dad, did I do that when I was eight years old or whatever? I was like, I think everybody does that at eight years old, but I don't remember it. But I'm sure that you did do that. And um, because it's a relationship, right? You don't, you don't sit around and remember all the things they did wrong. You remember all the things they did right, you know? And, and that's the way God's programmed us to forget the bad things, hopefully, doesn't always work, but so there is God's no longer taking count of our sin. He's buried it in the deepest sea. He's got as far as east to the west to be remembered no more. So when we sin now, we, God brings it to our attention. We just confess our sin. What's that mean to agree with God? It's not even, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm such a worm. I'm such a horrible person. Of course you are. You're in sinful bodies. Yes, you are a horrible person on earth in this sinful body. Everybody is, unfortunately. That's not the point God's making. The point is you understand you're not walking in spiritual truth, and you need to repent of that and walk in spiritual truth. So confession just means to agree with God. If you confess your sin, that's sin. Yes, it is sin. Then he's faithful and righteous, cleanse you from not only that sin, but from all unrighteousness. So Jesus is actively... <clears throat> as our husband washing us in the water of the word that we are without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, ready at any moment, at any second to be presented to the Father. He, Jesus, presented us to the Father, perfect, without blemish, without wrinkle, without any such thing. So sin can no longer enslave us. Sin has no power over us any longer. But then he turns around and says, but you got to put away sin. What? I thought I was dead to sin. Well, you're, you're dead to sin as far as the condemnation in your relationship with God. It will never separate you from God again. But you're still in a sinful body. And the reality is we've got to put to death the sin in our flesh daily. Now, this word, members, is the word melos. And it does mean like the limb of a body, the body part. And so you guys might remember the, uh, when Paul uses that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and he says, we're all one body, we're the body of Christ, but many members. One's a hand, one's a foot, one's an eye. That's the way we think of it, right? Christ being the head. But here, it's important to note, he's not saying put to death the members of your body. He's not saying put to death the, the, your hand, your foot, your ear. He is, he's saying, what are those members? And he goes on and tells us it's fornication, passion, covetousness, etc. Do you realize that? I have a third arm. It's called fornication. <laughs> I've got an extra leg. It's called covetousness. We look pretty weird with this stuff, don't we? And and. Paul is saying, you, you cut it off and it grows right back. Did you ever notice that? You deal with the issue of greed one day, and it, there it is again the next day. And it often appears in the most embarrassing moments. I, I was listening to a, a sermon of a, a Calvary pastor, and I heard one of the best analogies, but it was also one of the funniest. 
recently. He was in another state. And he, he's realizing there's helicopters flying all over, and there's all these police cars and, and, and all these police motorcycles, and, and, the, and all of a sudden the freeway's emptying off. And he's driving along. There's hardly anybody on this big freeway. And then he sees it, the beast. It's the president of the United States. And he sees him back there, and he's going to be going by him. And, and, and he realizes, and he tells the kids, they're all in the car, guys, we're going to get to see the president of the United States drive by us. And everybody rolled down their window, and, and he rolled down his window, and it completely shocked him. Instead of waving, he showed him the finger. And the kids go, did you just do what I think you did, Dad? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. But he said it just got him there. He was wanting to, you know, forget all the bad stuff. And just, it's the president. Doesn't matter if he's the worst president that's ever lived. And he locked us in our houses and put us in bondage and destroyed our country. I'm going to forget all of that and just wave to him. But then he said it just flooded him. The COVID, the lockdowns, the destroying of our economy, the taking away our free speech, trying to take away our guns. And, and, and as much as he wanted to forget all of that and just wave, his flesh grew an extra finger. Just, ah! He was so embarrassed by it. His kids, his wife, nobody was blessed by it. But, you know, what a perfect example of how our flesh sometimes, when we are doing everything we can to keep it in check, it all of a sudden shows its digits, shows its members, right? And, uh, and so we've got to put to get death this sinful condition, this human flesh. Let's remember back in Ephesians. How, what did Paul, how did Paul describe our flesh right now? among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That's our flesh. That's what we're fighting against every day. Things that God hates. Things we're going to learn next week. Things that God's going to condemn people to eternal hell over are things as Christians we're struggling with in our life. Isn't that radical? We've passed out of judgment. But the same sin that God's going to say when he judges the sinful, this is what I'm condemning you over. We're over there going to heaven, <laughs> going, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. You know, even as a Christian, I wrestled with that. It's, it's going to be a humbling moment as we watch the world being condemned for sins that we've done even as Christians. James 4.1 says it very well. For where do the wars and the fights come among you? Where do the church splits come from? Where do the family divisions come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in the members, there it is, that same word again, melos. Isn't that where it really comes from? The, the battle in our flesh, the pride, the arrogance, the anger, the, the unforgiveness, the greed, the, the lust. Isn't that, isn't that really why you end up being divisive rather than being the servant? Let's take a moment here and relook at Romans 7 in this light. I think this is going to really turn the light on for so many of you. But looking at Romans 7, verse 14 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, wow, it's powerful. What I hate, that I do. Anybody ever feel like that? We all do, don't we? Verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin. That dwells in me. Do we hear that verse 17, guys? It's not me that's doing it. It's literally my sin condition. I'm not saying you're not responsible for it, okay? It's, it's just like people who, who have said, you know, they've gotten in this fight and practically killed the guy while he was drunk. 
And after he's sober, they're telling him what he did. And everybody's saying he is the kindest, sweetest person, would never hurt a fly until he's drunk. And then he's a mean drunk. And he's saying it's alcohol. Alcohol is really is what happened here. I don't, I don't disbelieve that. But is he still responsible for that car wreck? Yeah, see, that's the thing. We're still responsible. We're still the one not bearing good fruit. But in verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For it to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, that I do not find. So Paul here at this moment says something very profound. I am born again. I'm seated in the heavenly places. I'm holy as God is holy. I'm already seen by God, sanctified in a perfect body for all of eternity. So in me, the desire to want to do God's will is out of this world powerful. I want God's will above everything. I'm willing to die for him. I'm willing to go to prison for him. I'm willing to give all my goods to the poor and follow him. I'm willing to be burned at the stake for him. My desire is off the charts committed, wanting to live the Christian life. But I still do the things I hate. I've discovered it's actually not me, the eternal me, the me that's going to heaven in a brand new body forever. That me is perfectly obedient. But there's another nature, my body, my brain, my flesh. It's completely wretched. Nothing good dwells in me, in my flesh. He goes on to repeat this in verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now listen to verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law or a principle. It's really unfortunate that Paul uses the word law here because he started talking about the law, like the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law. But then he continues to use the same word. He's not talking about the law anymore. He's talking about just a principle, okay? There's this principle that exists. It's a principle of truth that exists, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Verse 21, does anyone believe differently than that? (laughs) Let me read it again. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Is that true of everybody here? You know, there's some religions that try to teach you that you're not doing evil, even when you're doing evil. It's just an illusion that you're doing evil. No, I really do evil. (laughs) You know, I can read the Bible, praise the Lord, and and 10 minutes later be wanting to just punch somebody in the face. And I'm completely shocked by that every time. Every time. I'm like, how did I go from here to flipping out the President of the United States? You know, I do not know how I got there. But I, I, this is a principle that I see all the time. I mean, it's basically, I see it daily. You know, some in extreme measure, some days not so much, but I see it daily. And then he says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Everything God says wrong, I agree with him. Everything God says right, I agree with him. And I want to do everything God wants me to do and not do one thing that God doesn't want me to do. That's the truth. But I see another law or principle in my members, malos, there it is again. Warn against the law of my mind and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Here we all, we can know this verse well. Verse 24, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from what? Specifically, this body of death. Guys, look at that term. You know what that term is actually? The, the Romans actually took over a practice the ancient Assyrians had. And that is, if you murdered somebody and you were found guilty, they took the murdered body and they pasted its face to your face, your hands to its hands, its body to your body, and they 
kept you in that position until the dead person's body killed you, rotted you. Yes, and Paul is saying, that's what's happening to me. I've got this spirit, man, that's perfect. It's going to heaven. It's going to slip into that new body going, oh, this is the way I've always thought and felt and wanted to live. But right now, I'm, I've got this flesh thing strapped to me. It's dead. I'm dead to it. I've crucified my flesh to the world and the world to me. I, I'm dead. That old nature is gone. Christ circumcised all that old nature and threw all that dead flesh away. But the reality is the members, <laughs> the fornication, the lust, the greed, I mean, the list goes long, doesn't it? The bitterness, the unforgiveness. It's, it's literally mummified to me. And it feels like it's destroying me. Is it going to destroy us? No. He's going to tell us in chapter 8, there's no condemnation. But what does he say? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, it's just a fact that i got to deal with as long as I'm in this human body is basically what he says. So then the mind of myself served the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin, or the principle of sin. There's just two different natures in me. And, and the one doesn't take away from the other. Just because I'm fighting with this flesh every day, you know, i got my sword out every day and I'm fighting with my flesh every day, I'm in war. I'm in a battle every day. Why I'm in this, on this earth, it doesn't take away when I am serving the Lord. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not telling you to live a pure life and then I'm going off and living an impure life. I'm not, it's not a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites in a sense. Because the very thing we hate is the very thing we practice. And we don't want to practice. We're embarrassed by it. We're we're. we're tormented by it. We're, we're humbled by it. We're disgusted by it. But until we leave this body, you know, you're going to be some hundred-year-old guy in the hospital screaming at the nurse, oh, this, this jello is too hard, you know, oh, throwing it at the, you know. In Romans 8, 12, and 13, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So let me just say this. On this test of putting our flesh to death and living in the Spirit, even the top student in the class doesn't get 100%, right? I mean, there are days that I get through the day and I'm like, this was a day where it just feels like 100% spirit. It was so wonderful. Why can't every day be like this? You know, when I go in the mission field, it's like that. I'm on the plane, divine appointment. I get off the plane, divine appointment. I'm talking to this guy, to that guy, divine appointment, divine. Then I go serve the orphans and I'm taking care of them and loving them, just feeling like, oh, the heavens are open, the angels are in about us, God's spirit is just so pleased and I'm so happy and I don't ever want to leave here. And, and you go on like that maybe a couple of weeks, serving instead of being served, giving and loving and walking in the spirit and being a good example. And you're just like, oh, this is wonderful. And then you have other days and weeks and months, and I hate to even say it, years, where you're fighting, but you're losing pretty regularly. And it gets discouraging, doesn't it? That's why it says in John 1 that Jesus, God's own son, the Lamb of God, appeared with grace and then truth. He didn't come with truth. We can't handle the truth. It would smash us because the truth about us is heavy. But Jesus first gives us grace. I love you. I joyfully died on the cross for you. I, it's a gift to you. Just keep your eyes on me. I'm the author, the finisher. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to begin. I'm going to finish that work I began in you. Grace, grace, grace. And by the way, that was really sinful yesterday. 
<laughs> no, don't talk about that. Forgive me, God. It's, I agree with you. That was sinful. Okay, let's forget about it. Come back the next day. I still feel so bad about what I did yesterday. Uh, sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about. You remember I told you about that? If you, you must have confessed it because it's, I have no knowledge of it. I'm God. I have the power to forget. <laughs> Where man doesn't. It's part of our sinful flesh. We can't forget. We're beat up. I'll be laying there, going to sleep, and Satan will bring something to mind, or my flesh will bring something to mind that I did when I was 15, feeling horrible about it, going, what an idiot I am. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, this, this sinful body. So, so we need to understand nobody gets 100. We're, we're wrestling with it every day, all the time. So how do we put to death the members of our sinful body? That is, how do we put to death the fornication, the passion, the covetousness, etc.? <clears throat> the answer is walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Walk in the Spirit and what? You will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. doesn't say you'll make the lust of your flesh go away. Let me just say this right up front. If anybody thinks that if I'm doing Christianity right, I'll quit feeling sinful. I'll quit being sinful because my body will get trained to only like righteousness. Does anybody think that? It's absolutely wrong. Your body doesn't get saved. As a matter of fact, it grows in corruption. The longer you live, the more it grows in corruption. But God's gracious. He makes us tired. <laughs> So it's like, I'd start sinning right now if I had energy. Or we can't see so good. I would lust after that if I could see that. I might really get tempted by what I heard, but I didn't really hear it. So God's gracious, you know. But we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh if we're walking in the Spirit. For flesh lusts against Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Wow. Oh, take a moment here. These are contrary to one another, the walking in the Spirit and the lust of the flesh. They're two coexisting things that are fighting it out within your mind and within your heart, within your body every day. They're contrary. They're at, they're at war with one another. And what happens? You don't do the things you wish. What are you saying? If you're not walking in the Spirit, you will be walking in the flesh. What do you mean? What, what do you mean then, walking in the Spirit? Get this, guys. It's a positive. It's not a negative. God is not saying, now how do you conquer the flesh? Don't walk in the flesh. Did he say that? He didn't. How do you conquer the flesh? Walk in the spirit. He didn't say don't walk in the flesh. He didn't say that. And I'll tell you what, I've heard so many sermons in my lifetime making everybody feel condemned. Quit that. Quit that. Stop that. Why are you doing that? If you're really saved, then you wouldn't even be thinking that thought. That's what they're telling people. It's a complete false doctrine. Calvinism basically teaches that. That if you are really saved, then you're going to be doing all the right stuff because the Spirit's making you do it even when you don't want to do it. That's how you know you're really saved. Ridiculous. Absolutely not true. So what is the answer to overcoming our sinful nature? Peter says it plainly. In 2 Peter 1.4, by which have been given to us exceeding and great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Do you see that? Through the great and precious promises, that is God's word, right? The promises in God's word. You do both of them. You partake of the divine nature and you escape the corruption that's in the world and in us every single day. Notice again here, I want to make it clear, he didn't say, stop doing this, start, start, start doing that. He didn't give a legalistic list. You, you, you hear it. You know, I don't even go to the beach anymore because I, you know, that way I don't see any girls in bathing suits and I'm much holier now. 
really? You, you, you know, you, I think God gives the beach and the ocean to enjoy, but, well, I just threw my TV into the trash. I started doing this, and that's why I'm holy, and I stopped doing that, and that's why I'm holy. Man, I, I, I grew up in the holy movement, and it's ridiculous. I mean, for years, we used to go to camp. This is when I was a child. And then there was a district superintendent that came with our denomination from the south. And here I am, nine years old. And, and all of a sudden, when the girls are swimming, they had this big, giant fence thing they put up so the nine-year-old boys couldn't even see the girls swimming, and vice versa. We couldn't swim together, but not only that, we couldn't see. And I, I was just so confused. And I'm just like, why can't we, you know, I had no sexual sense of anything at that point, but why can't girls and guys, you know, and boy, he preached it, man, this is holiness. And we don't ever even do that, you know. I just remember being very confused. And of course, we didn't go to movies. We could watch them on TV. We just couldn't go watch them when they were in the theater. We couldn't dance. We couldn't go to circuses. And of course, you couldn't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. That was, a, that was a definitely known fact. But rather, how do we defeat the flesh? Jude tells us, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, not some dead religious Catholic Hail Marys, but a spirit-filled prayer of passion and love and desire. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's what I do. I'm just, God, today I want to live for you. Today I want to bear good fruit. I want to have rewards in heaven. I just, honestly, forget the rewards in heaven. I just want to glorify you, Father. I want men to see my good works and glorify you. That's all I want. Get me through this day bearing good fruit for your glory. That's a passionate, spirit-filled prayer. And then mercy. <laughs> mercy on yesterday and, and the whole life before that. Mercy on today. Give me grace and help and mercy. Forgive me, because I know I'm going to fall short again of the glory of God today. Psalms 119.9. How will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119.11. Your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. It didn't say, and I absolutely will not sin against you. My chances are much, much better <laughs> if I'm meditating on God's word that I won't sin against him. How do we overcome the flesh? It's in the positive. We walk in the spirit. We pray in the spirit. We meditate in the word and God's spirit speaks the word to our life. What else? It's, guys, it's not complicated. Religion makes it complicated, right? God said, don't work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees turned it into a 1,500-page book. No joke. <laughs> How to keep the Sabbath holy, 1,500 pages of things that will break the law. That's man. Religion complicates things. We've got to have special clothes and a special haircut and special briefcases and special... <laughs> You know, we have to pray a special way and got to have holy underwear and memorize this and memorize that. And it, it's, it's all these complications. And Christianity, we don't, don't be swayed to leave the simplicity that's in Christ. What are we basically saying here? Walk in the Spirit. Listen to Jesus. How? Through the Word. Cry out to him, because that's what people do in relationships. They talk. I did not know this until about a week ago, but my wife told me. I talk to you, and you got to talk to me, and I'm like, almost 40 years of marriage, I finally got that. Because usually I listen to her, and she's like, and then I ask a question, and she's like, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? And I'm like, okay, you're right. Go ahead, do it again. Get to do it again. Happened yesterday. I, I'm horrible. Anyway, here's the second part of this verse. After we put to death the members which are on this earth, here are the list of them. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, witches, idolatry. I don't think this is a complete list, but you know what this list is? It's about sexuality. 
It's a bunch of different words. And you know what? If you go to Galatians 5 and look at the first five words on the list of the flesh, it's about sexuality. Now, I got to ask the question here. Why is Paul talking about sex right up front when he mentions the flesh? Was it an issue in the Colossian church? Was it an issue in the Roman Empire? Or is Paul saying, whoever's reading this, even if it's 2,000 years from now, it's probably going to be the main issue to start with talk, talking about. And I have to say, that's pretty much. When guys want to confess to me, it usually has something to do with sex, you know? Porn or being tempted into an affair, or they had an affair. It's something in the sex realm. And so this is what we, we see in, in the first one, fornication, which is actually the word just general immorality. The Greek word's pornea. We get the word pornography from it, right? But in reality, it's just saying anything that's sex outside of marriage. Adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, any kind of homosexuality, liberal, liberal, uh, lesbianism, uh, bestiality. In our, in our country, I think most of us here, even if you're a young person, has seen the permissiveness of sexuality. I mean, you can even watch old movies, right, of the, of the princess marrying the prince, and what do they say? Man, you got to prove your virginity, or you can't marry the prince. you got to prove it to his whole family. It gets really bizarre. But boy, her chastity was essential in order for her to keep, be able to marry into the kingdom, right? The king isn't going to get somebody that's not a virgin. That's just a fact. That was throughout all of history and every culture. Virginity was something that was sacred. And in and, and my lifetime, man, you, you waited till marriage. That's why guys were excited about the wedding day. The girls were excited because of the dress and the flowers and all that. The guys were excited because as soon as we get all these people gone, we're going to have sex. I've been dating her for three years or five years, and oh, I want sex. And it was a something. But now that's, it's just irrelevant, right? We've been sleeping, we've been living together five years and our wedding day is going to be a party and, and afterwards we'll probably just go to sleep because they're too tired and too drunk. But that's not the culture that, that we once had. And of course now the, the attitudes towards anything, sexuality, it's all bad except one thing, adultery. Isn't that interesting? You're, 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 you know, you're a guy claiming to be a girl, you're a homosexual, whatever you are, but boy, in Hollywood, you commit adultery, you are the worst person that's ever lived. It's, it's bizarre. So don't judge somebody because they're homosexual. That's wrong. But you're judging him because he committed adultery. Yes, that's horrible. Okay. We can't we can judge sex. It's just on your Hollywood moral book. Where is that book? I need to read that. There is no book. It's whatever I say it is this week this year. So the world tells us, have sex whenever you want. You can just do it for a one-night stand pleasure, or you can do it in a committed relationship, which is better. But hey, don't get married until you have taken the car around the block, right? Would you buy a new car without at least getting it out on the freeway and seeing how fast it'll go? Don't get married until you've had sex with that person to see if you're compatible This is simply not true. It's the wrong thinking. Sex comes after the wedding ceremony and the bonds of matrimony. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 makes it clear. Flee sexual immorality. Remember Joseph in the book of Genesis when Potiphar tried to get him in bed? It says, I fear God. And he ran from her, leaving his jacket behind. Paul says every sin that a man does is outside the body and he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So as a Christian, we belong to him. We know at collectively we are the, we're the bride of Christ. And, and he's saying, you, when you came to Christ and you said, Jesus be the Lord of my life, then he is now your Lord. You, you're not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 through 8, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 
pretty plain, pretty clear, isn't it? That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Love that verse four. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. I'm not surprised they're being all immoral. They don't, they don't know Jesus. They don't have Christianity. They don't know what the Bible says. That no one should take an advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is vendor of all such sex, <clears throat> of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us in cleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So men will come along and be permissive. Well, you can have sex with your girlfriend as long as you love her and plan on marrying her. Are you guys engaged? Then go ahead and have sex. I'm engaged, wedding day, six months, a year away. No big deal. Or, again, and he says here, hey, I don't care what anybody else says. God's word says this. And anybody who doesn't say exactly what God said, because this culture in Rome, just like our culture today, is saying, hey, man's evolving. So if it wasn't for oppressive Judeo-Christian ethic, there would have been, you know, 50% of the population would have been homosexuals back in the 1920s. But, you know, it was illegal. But now we're not going to be that way anymore. And, and, and what happens when you start giving permissiveness? It, we're going to see in a second here. It goes completely out of control. Let's look at the next one, uncleanness or impurity. Literally, it's the word catharsis, which is literally the word cleansing. But this is a catharsis. The A means the opposite. You're not cleansing yourself. Uh, yesterday's is going on over today and to the next day. It, there, there needs to be a stop in every day of repentance, even if you feel guilty, even if you feel weak and you'll probably fall into it again tomorrow, you, you, you've got to stop yourself in the midst of it saying, I'm not going to be permissive. I'm not going to say this isn't sin. I'm going to call it sin and repent. Even if I have to do it five times today, I, I need to be cleansing myself, having a moment in my thoughts and in my intentions James says, yep, it's the thoughts, the intentions. That's where it all starts. Uh, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin is full grown, brings forth death. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs all, really, all the issues of life. So sinful behavior begins with thought. The battle over the sin always begins in the mind. This is true, especially in the area of sexuality but especially for men and sexuality, their minds begin sinning far before their bodies do. Jesus said it plainly in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, 23. He said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, which is greediness, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. For all these evils come from within the man and defile the man. The next word is passion, which is just uncontrolled lust. And the next evil desire, it's a sexual craving for something so wrong. It's evil, even. Uh, the King James, the way it translates passion is inordinate affections. And evil desire, the old King James, translates it evil concupiscence. <laughs> but either way, these words are all together. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire. They're all very similar in virtually trying to compound the importance of it. Because if you cross the line you're on a slide. Do you understand that? When people say it's okay for me to, to live a sexual life outside of what God has given me, you don't step over a line, you step onto a slide. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're far away from that line. Paul talks about this in Romans 1 where men won't acknowledge God. They're atheists. They'll, they'll acknowledge creatures. They'll acknowledge evolution. He says the moment man quits wanting to give God glory for the creation and looks to the creature rather than the creator, you're going to see 
that they're going to go into a society that is sexually self-destructive. Romans 1, guys, go read it. It's illegal. If I, if I said this in Canada right now, we'd lose our church five years in prison. Anywhere in Europe right now, there are pastors right now in prison because of Sweden, Holland, etc. They said what I just said. You'd lose your church and the pastor five years in prison. Yeah, it's coming very, very soon that we can't even have this in open church. In Romans 1, 26 and 27, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, even women exchanging the natural use for what is against nature, likewise also leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves penalty of their error which was due them. So God says, I gave them up. When men want to see the world as, as there is no God, this is all evolved here, I'm not going to acknowledge God in my thinking, because where does truth come from? Every time I ask this, they'll say, well, it's from my family, the way I was raised. My... It's like, really? Did the way your family raised you, is it an absolute truth? Is it the best? Well, no, I mean, okay, then that's not it. Well, it comes from what I think. Are you wrong sometimes? Yeah, I'm wrong sometimes. Then it's not from you. It's got to come from a truth that never changes. And I'll tell you what, it's the Bible. In China, it's the Communist Party, Right? In, in Iran, it's the Koran. But in truth, when you look at the truth, because the Koran also says that, that women secretly like to be beaten with rods. That's just not true. And a lot of other nonsense. But you look at the Bible, there's no nonsense. It's true every single time, whether it's talking about raising kids or marriage or how to treat an employee or an employer, it's true. But God says that once you say, I'm the God of my own destiny, I'll tell you what's morally correct and morally not incorrect. He said it's a slide. The society now is in self-destruct mode. And let me tell you, when you go back and look at the Old Testament, he says it immediately goes into many other things worse than homosexuality. Is, is, I, I can remember as clear as day, being in my mid to late 20s preaching, I, I said, it won't be very long until if you are against homosexuality, you will be the, the monster. You'll be the evil person. I had people after church come up and say to me, Brian, if you ever say the word homosexuality in church again, we're leaving the church. My wife is in the bathroom throwing up. And it is, it is just so vulgar. That word should not be said in a church. Okay, that was the reaction when I said it. And it wasn't even a decade until... Other people were going, now I know homosexuals and they're wonderful people and, and my dentist is homosexual. He's the best dentist in town. And it's like, yeah, they're wonderful. We're all made in God's image. We're amazing. Some of the nicest people I know are atheists. Some of the most talented people on the planet are homosexuals. I, I, I'm not saying they're not loving. I'm not saying they're not good people. I'm not saying they're not kind. I'm telling you that God says that their sex is an abomination. So, should I quit going to my dentist? No, if they're the best dentist, go to the dentist. I, I'm just saying that, that as a Christian, we, we can't just say, well, our culture feels now that if a 10-year-old boy thinks he's a girl, it's abusive for you parents not to help him transition. As crazy as that seems, Guys, in another two years, it's going to seem crazy to think anything other than that. I mean, it's going to be like, it, it, it's just, a, you know, it's like you're watching TV now and, and you expect on every show for at least one, if not half of them, to be homosexual. And they are, you don't even notice it anymore. 
And then you love that character on TV who's a blazing homosexual. You're like, oh, they're my favorite character on that TV show. And, and it's like, I can tell you 30 years ago, if there was a guy pretending to be homosexual, you would have gotten physically ill. But now, it's something that if you don't accept it and rejoice with it and think it's wonderful, you're, you're an evil Pharisee. You're an evil, oppressive person. You're like the, the Shah. You're not the Shah anymore, the Khomeini. You're the United States Khomeini hating on all of us. So, again, we're there, guys. And so now to say to somebody, don't have sex before you get married, it's like, where are you from, the 1800s? You know, next, next thing you're going to tell me is not only don't have sex before you get married, but you're going to tell me homosexuality is sin. My brother's homosexual. He's the most wonderful person in the world. I'm not going to tell him he's going to hell because he's homosexual. I'm not saying that either. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. And when I'm in the culture, being swayed by the culture, I would like a lot of things that God says isn't true. As long as I've been a Christian, I wish there wasn't a hell. I wish nobody went to hell. That's me. I know it's not just, but if I were a judge, I'd be the worst judge. The guy would say, man, I'm so sorry I murdered him. Yes, I'm going to give you 18 months. You know, that would be me. I would not be just. I would be, you know, everybody, as soon as they give me their sob story, I believe it. I'm like, yes, I know you murdered your wife, but now after hearing what you said, it makes complete sense. Not only are you not going to prison, I think we're going to give you a medal for putting her up with her for 10 years. That's me. That's, I'm, I am so merciful when I should not be merciful. I do not have justice. And so, you know, to think of God judging man, I wouldn't be just. God is going to be just. And that's righteous. I would not be righteous with justice. I would give out mercy when I should be giving out justice. So I'm not surprised I don't want there to be a hell. But let me tell you, you cannot read the Bible honestly and walk away saying there is not a hell. And a matter of fact, there's some good people going to be in hell. The Bible tells us so. Jesus tells us. Look in Luke 15. The, the man who fed the poor his whole life, he died and went into Hades. And Lazarus, the guy he's fed, went into, into Hades, into Sheol. And the, rich, the, the poor man, Lazarus, was in the righteous bosom of Abraham. But the other man was in the heat of Hades. Not hell yet. And he cried out and said, hey, Father Abraham, that guy Lazarus, I used to feed him. Could you have him put a drop of water on his finger and put it on my tongue? For the place I'm at is torment. And he goes, no, there's a chasm. You in your lifetime had a great life. Now Lazarus, for all eternity, is going to have a great life. Well, don't forget about me. Can you send Lazarus back from the dead and warn my four brothers? They're just like me. They're good men but they're going to go to hell. Wow. He's not down there going, well, fine, then F you, Abraham. And blah, 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 blah. He wasn't an evil guy. Even when he's in his own torment, he's like, I, I'm going to be in hell for eternity, but can you help my brothers if they don't go to hell? He's a good man, but he's in hell for eternity because there's only one way of salvation, and that's, by Jesus paying the price for our sins. If there was another way, he would not have been crucified. Well, then he says also, covetousness. I'm not going to read that, but Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 6, that if, you're, if you, godliness with contentment is great gain, anything up past that, it's going to pierce you through with many sorrows. And many good Christians have been drowned by their greediness. And he says, by the way, all of this is idolatry. Wow. Barclay has a great quote there where he, he actually says that when we want something more than what God has given us, that's idolatry. And here, thank you for sex and marriage, God. 
But I, I need sex other than in marriage. And for you to deny it to me, you're a, an oppressive God. That's in essence, he says, that's what you're doing. You're, you're shaming God for giving you something so wonderful that you need it in different ways. You know, it's sort of like fire. You guys like fire? It's wonderful in your fireplace. Is there anything more lovely than having a fireplace and a nice fire going and crackling and, and, and heating the house up? But now let's take that fire out of the fireplace and put it in the middle of your living room. Now do you like fire? You, you, you see, it burn your house down and maim people, kill people. That's what sex does. Sex in the fireplace? It's wonderful. Sex outside the fireplace? What about the bedroom? No, the bedroom has to be in the fireplace. What about in the bathroom? It's got to be in the fireplace. Man, you're really uptight about that fireplace thing, aren't you? What about the backyard? Fireplace only. Sorry. Fire's got to be contained and controlled. If you don't have the fire contained and controlled, it destroys. This is what sex does. Do you understand? God is not saying don't have sex outside of marriage because I want people to feel oppressed. He's saying it because that's the only safe place to have it. So let me just talk about sex for a minute. We'll wrap this up. Let's not forget, God is for sex. They make it sound like God's against sex. God created sex. He made sex. It's a good thing in the right place in the right time. It's important to understand sex and marriage, it's a bonding agent. It's a refreshing and renewal in the affections and the love. When you see a marriage in trouble, one of the first places you'll see it is they stop having sex. Then it goes sleeping in different beds. <laughs> and it, you don't see it affecting the finances and the children and all of that until way down the line. But often marriage is in trouble when they get away for a weekend and have sex. It heals. There's a lot of healthy things that happen in that marriage. Solomon actually said, my bread, my bed is green. So that's sort of sad. No, what he meant by that, it's growth and refreshment. My marriage bed, it's such a healthy, growing thing. So we must learn to control all the powers in our life. Do you understand that? God made us powerful human beings. So we have the power to talk, right? One of the first things when I had junior high and high school kids, and I'd say, understand how powerful you are. I, I know when you're in youth group and you're saying something funny and you make everybody laugh, you think it's no big deal. No, you just completely set the atmosphere for the next hour. You took the power out of the hands of the youth pastor by those words you said, and they're now in your hands. Everybody's waiting for the next thing of what you're gonna say. James says this, right? It's powerful. It, it may, may just be one word, but it sets a whole forest on fire. It just may be a tiny little thing, but so is a rudder on a giant ship. It steers the whole thing. And he says, a tap water, if it has salt water coming out sometimes, and fresh water coming out sometimes, you would never use it. It's useless. But when you have fresh water, always being fresh water and salt water, being contained where it is separate from the fresh water, then that's a good thing. He says, understand you're powerful with your words. That's true, isn't it? Our minds are powerful. People, it just blows me away when I see architecture. And I'm like, how did some guy draw that up to the detail, that electrician and a plumber? And wow, the mind's so powerful. But I could sit there and think of how ways to blow up a building. I could think of how to bless people. I could think of how to kill somebody, try to get away with it. Our mind's powerful, isn't it? Sex is powerful. We're powerful in many ways. Sex is powerful. God's given us the power of sex. What are you going to do with that power? What are you going to do with the power of your words? What are you going to do with the power of your mind? 
we got to understand it just can't be random. Don't start throwing salt water everywhere. We all die of thirst. Psalms 141 about our mouth says, David cried out and said, Lord, send a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So again, sex is powerful. It's the most physical act. It involves not just the body, it's the soul. When a woman is raped, it's not so much about what happens to her body as the damage it does to the rest of her being, isn't it? The fear in her mind, the feel of violation to her very soul. Isn't that correct? 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, that's, there's all kinds of sins, but sex is separate from all other sins. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body or own self. He damages, like somebody getting raped, you're in essence damaging yourself far more than what you're doing with your body. You're damaging your soul as well. Well, sorry about such a topic the week after Thanksgiving. <laughs> but we go verse by verse, and I've discovered where we're at is where we're at. And God knows. Now you know the truth, not just to set yourself free, but others as well. Lord, thank you for your word today. Teach us, Lord, how to walk in sanctification and honor. Teach us, Lord, how to take our very powerful vessel that you've given us as a gift and live it out to your glory. Help us not to get so discouraged with our difficult, sinful nature that we're living in. Help us to put to death all the sexual areas of our life that are not pure and holy and glorious and clean and pure. And we know we can't just kill it once and it's dead till we die. It's something we got to kill sometimes, many times a day. Let us put these things to death that we can have the joy and the freedom of walking in the Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...